We got a good one today, Boz. Yep. I probably intro everyone like that, but this, but this, they're all good. But this one's really. But it's but a. But you really classic. mean it. You really mean it this time. I really mean it today. I'm not lying. It's a classic. <laughs> so this is user submitted questions, content, if you will. So like we said, we do read the comments on the YouTube channel. So I'm clicking on some tabs on my computer right now, going to our most recent varied not random, which at this time of recording was number 30. And a gentleman by the name of Jason B left a series of questions. And one of them we're going to dive into today. So here is the question. I'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll just have some fun with it. Before you, before okay, so you do that, I just want to give sir. a little shout out to Jason B. I, I was like, hey, man, that's really cool. He had a bunch of different questions on there. And, you know, we might not be able to get to them all, but it's really cool that he's thinking about these things and, yes. uh, you know, so invested, obviously. So it's really, it's great to see that. Yeah. And he posted another little bit about his background that he, he holds mm -hmm. an L1, been doing it, I think, for like eight years. I mean, he's, he's, he's in. So this one says, CrossFit has identified 10 domains of fitness. And by that, he means the 10 general physical skills. If we looked at each event and identified the top three aspects of what domain of fitness they tested, things like strength or endurance would come up frequently, while things like accuracy or flexibility would not be in the top three aspects of the event, meaning that when testing fitness, CrossFit has given preference to some of the 10 domains while deprioritizing others. Do you think that this is appropriate? And are some aspects actually more important than others, mm. despite CrossFit originally saying that they are all equally important? So, great question. The, the encapsulation would be, we're going to discuss the 10 general physical skills, what they mean, yep. try to give everybody a better understanding and like what you said, Jason, thank you so much for, for saying that. I just have to not nitpick, but just point out a couple of things here. So just so we're all clear, CrossFit, you say that CrossFit identified them. CrossFit did not create the 10 general physical skills, just to give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we'll get into you know, where those came from. But CrossFit saw them, liked them, and then kind of put their own spin on them, shall we say, or interpreted them in a, in a different way. So, and while a lot of your question, Jason, you, and I'm not sure if you were intentional with the wording, but you talk about testing fitness, which makes me think watching a, a competition. We're going to discuss mm -hmm. the 10 general physical skills, not so much just specifically as how they would relate to programming a competition, but how they relate in general. And if you get a general understanding of them, well, then whether you're just training alone in your garage or you're an affiliate owner or you're watching a competition, that baseline of knowledge will help all of those endeavors, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that, um, you know, sometimes when people watch competitions, comp you know, just back up a second, competitions are a, an interesting thing because they really do represent the totality of somebody's fitness and they don't necessarily represent the way people train to present that fitness. So there obviously is going to be a lot of overlap, but there's also going to be some pretty key differences. So I think that's noteworthy. And then maybe towards the end, we can talk about competition specifically. I, I also think there are elements within those 10 general capacities that people take for granted within certain events that they see on the competition floor. And it's easy to highlight, oh, this is a strength event or a stamina event or, or whatever. 
but there are some hidden attributes that really play a critical role that aren't necessarily as discussed as much, but that doesn't mean that they aren't a part of that event in a critical way. So I think I, I, I know where you're going too. with that. Uh, yeah. And I like it. And that's I, correct. There's some hidden treasures in there. Yep. So I guess just kind of taking a, a, a stroll down memory lane and uh, where the 10 general physical skills came from so people have a good understanding is, it, is if somebody has not, I would highly recommend everybody go onto good old Google, um, type in CrossFit, what is fitness, CrossFit journal. You want, you want to read the what is fitness article from the CrossFit yep. journal. That was published in uh, October 1st, 2002 written by Greg Glassman, and it is, uh, I'm biased, I'm sure, but one of the most influential, mm -hmm. most important documents that kind of got me into CrossFit, quite frankly, and reshaped how I was thinking about what I was doing and whether or not it was effective, and did I have a goal, and and it really got my, my mind spinning. And yeah. part of that was, there's several models in there that Greg used to help define fitness because all the terms before that were loosey-goosey. Fitness was just the state of being fit, whatever that meant. And mm -hmm. the 10 general physical skills was a key part of that. So you lecture well, on the 10 on. general... I park right there for a second because okay. I think that's really important too is that um, you know people talk when they get into the theory of CrossFit. I think it's easy to start developing a shorthand for things, which is fine. And that's natural the way people communicate as they get more comfortable with a certain topic that that's naturally going to emerge. But I think it's important to remember that the 10 general physical adaptations is part of a larger framework. It was one mm -hmm. model of four that was used to conceptually illustrate what it means to be fit. So the definition doesn't hang just on those 10. It's right. just one more way to look at it and crack the nut of what it truly means to have and develop fitness. That's a good point. And that's, you're a lot fresher with the, the lecturing than I was. And that just brought back into my mind that you're right. When, when I used to deliver that lecture, at the end, it was always important to say that now that you've got all the models, you've got to take mm -hmm. a step back and look at the whole picture. Because any one, while useful, doesn't tell the whole tale. They each kind of Correct. support yeah. one another. Mm -hmm. so, and, and one more thing I'll say, I can't hype up the article itself enough. I, I'll go, I'll one up you, Pat. I'll say that that article, when I read it in 2004, I didn't know it at the time, but it changed my life. That was the point where I started getting into fitness as a, a business on my own. I started to personal train. Um, that led to a coaching job. That led to a seminar staff job. That led to CrossFit Games. I mean, that, that really opened up the door for the trajectory that my life is on now. So, you know, it's, it, maybe a little cliche to say, but it, it really did change my life. Uh, I don't think it's cliche at all. And I also think it's interesting to, to give this some context because not to date ourselves, right? But this article- <laughs> I this, think I just did. <laughs> this article was written 19 years ago. So right. two, two decades ago. Two decades ago, the landscape of fitness was wildly different than what it is now. Absolutely. There's a lot of people walking around now that have been working out for five, six, seven, ten years that don't know anything different than like, well, of course you're going to do thrusters and mixed modality yeah. training. And of course, intensity is really important. And of course, you know, the, the key to 
true fitness is doing these things and not single joint isolation machine. Like a lot of those things now are just like, of course, when this yeah, article you, came big, out, of course. yeah, when this well, article came out, it was, it flew in the face of everything that yeah. as far as people know was you did the old school way and anything against that was just, you know, heresy. You know, this, this was highly, mm -hmm. highly controversial at the time yeah. being. Well, I'll give you one uh, <laughs> in the same vein. It's just kind of expected that you could go to a commercial gym now and squat and deadlift and not have people give you a hard time for that. And, and there's mm -hmm. likely other people that will be doing the same. That is not the case. If you turn nope. the clock back to the 90s and early 2000s, you could find niche gyms where that was happening, but it was way way the outlier this oh yeah it was the crazy thing. powerlifting gym tucked exactly. in the corner of the city or something yep. yeah so this so a lot of stuff now it was not the norm it's wonderful that it is yeah, you know great. but but it, but it was not the case so so you have to remember when this was written what was the time frame back then and and that's why it, it kind of came up because there was a lot of talk back then that if you know mark allen was the big triathlete of the day that won multiple Ironmans. And so he must be the fittest person on earth. And there was always this, so-and-so is the fittest, so-and-so is the fittest. And mm -hmm. it always bothered Mr. Glassman that fitness was never actually defined. And these people that we were hailing as the fittest people on earth, while they're absolutely tremendous at what they do and should be celebrated and they're amazing, having such incredible capacity in one or two areas meant that they were by its very nature deficient in a whole bunch of other areas. And that didn't seem to make sense to him. And, and that kind of sparked, here we are, you know, years later, yeah, you know, on this journey. Exactly. And to go back to that kind of model that most people seem to accept, even though it wasn't really well defined or laid out, it seemed to hinge on the idea that cardiovascular efficiency was right. at the pinnacle of fitness and the only real consideration. And that's why athletes like marathon runners or triathletes, they were seen to be put on this pedestal of, of esteem above other athletes that had different attributes. And again, that kind of led to this thinking of a total picture rather mm -hmm. than a select skill being prioritized above others. It's like, what if you could create this superhuman that could the run long man. and could sprint yeah. <laughs> and could lift heavy weight and could do some gymnastics? Like, oh my, could you even imagine? And, and Not physiologically possible, Pat. Not physiologically, can't be done. <laughs> and, and we laugh about it now, but that, that was to some degree believed, rewind right. the clock 20 years ago. And, and so anyway, so here we are. So getting back to his question about the 10 general physical skills, the origins, and if you go to the article that I recommended, which I hope everybody does, right in the initial opening, it says CrossFit's first fitness standard, and it lists the 10 general physical skills, and it gives definitions of each of them, which is wonderful. And an important thing that I'd like to know, because I said earlier that CrossFit did not create these, mm -hmm. it gives credit, says thanks to Jim Crawley and Bruce Evans of the Dynamax company. They created this list of 10 general physical skills, and correct me if I'm wrong, Boz, but I believe they created this list and said that if you are training and trying to improve your physical capacity, these are the 10 areas in which you could do that. And then CrossFit took it one step further and said, not only are these the 10 areas that you could develop physically, but he or she that is blended best and evenly across all 10 of these 
would lead us to believe that they are fitter than somebody who is not. Yeah. And you can take that one step further and then say, okay, what should a good training program do? And the answer is, well, it should work to actively improve all 10 of these uh, while not forgetting about, you know, a couple of the stragglers along the way. And just kind of a point there on the origins, I believe that the two gentlemen you mentioned were track and field coaches. If, if memory serves, I think, I think you're that, right. was, that was part of their you know, major occupation there. And they believed that that was the short list of athletic qualities that were necessary for success, regardless of sport. And so if you had an athlete who, you know, take whatever sport you want to add in there, let's say it's basketball, maybe they have the most skillful shot in the league but if they don't have the stamina to make it through the end of the game, mm. what good is that shot? And you could play that example out for just about any sport. Right. So again, highly recommend check out what is fitness, read the list. But here are the 10 cardiorespiratory endurance, stamina, strength, flexibility, power, speed, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. And there's a nice definition given for each of those that you can go ahead and, and check out on your own. I won't bore everybody with reading all 10, but I, I will say that there's the possibility that somebody might read these definitions. And if there is a point of confusion, they might be confused about the difference between cardiorespiratory endurance and stamina. I'll read the two definitions yeah. here, and maybe you can put it in a layman's term. So sure. in the article... Cardiorespiratory endurance is defined as the ability of body systems to gather, process, and deliver oxygen. Stamina is defined as the ability of body systems to process, deliver, store, and utilize energy. So laid out, but still usually a, a bit of confusion among folks. And how have you found is a nice way to kind of explain that? Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just think about local muscular fatigue versus overall inability to continue. So for example, if you're out there and you're doing a 5K or a 10K run, this is particularly true the longer the distance um, you're, you're going on, it's rare that you have to stop because there is a failure of a certain muscle group or local fatigue. It's a, it's a systemic effect. You cannot keep up with the efficiency of oxygen required to hold that pace. And so you have to slow down or stop but it's not due to any one identifiable muscle. It's not like, mm -hmm. oh, my quads are just too tired. I can't do it anymore. No, that's not what stops you. Whereas if you take the example of something more localized, like a max set of push-ups, it's not because the oxygen uptake is the failing point. You know, you're, you're not out of breath, but the local muscular fatigue has built mm -hmm. up to the point that you can no longer continue pumping out reps. So that's an easy way to think about endurance versus stamina. One is localized and one is not. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And I think it, you know, maybe there's a couple of more of these we could just touch on as I just look at the list. Sure. A classic one being strength and the strength definition that's given in this What is Fitness article is the definition that was presented by Jim Crawley and Bruce Evans. And it is mm -hmm. more of a classic academia exercise science or physiology definition, and they define it as the ability of a muscular unit or combination of muscular units to apply force. So they're defining as strength, muscular units, applying force. 
yeah. CrossFit in, in the technique lecture defines strength as the productive application of force. So again, it, it might be nuanced or a little confusing. Okay, well, when's the application of force? They're both talking mm -hmm. about force. You know, what's the difference there? I, again, it's, it's really easy when you see the examples laid out and, and you don't get lost in the language. It, CrossFit's always got a real practical element to it and I hope that it always will. I think that's part of what is so attractive about it is, is that it does consider what happens when mm -hmm. you actually do the thing. It's not enough to be great in the laboratory or have the attribute on paper, you actually have to perform. And that's exactly the difference between these two verbiage is around strength. One is basically how many opportunities on a cellular level do you have to contract and how much, how much muscular density do you have that can contribute to generating force. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely important. I mean, that, that is like the biological foundation for being strong. If you can't generate the force in the first place, well, you know, you're not going to be able to lift much. Right. However, where that force gets channeled and into what and how skillfully is ultimately going to dictate what ends up happening. And so, for example, powerlifting is a great pure example of this. Um, if you look at a, a powerlifting meet, nobody cares about the lifter who has the most dense fiber distribution in their <laughs> hamstrings. Right. Nobody's interested. Maybe it's a talking point for the commentators. Maybe that's something that people like to discuss before the meet. But when the rubber meets the road, it's who got the bar off the platform with the most weight on it. What was the productive application of that force? That's all that matters. And it's the same thing when we're talking about strength in a general application. It's great that you can contract like crazy, but what actually happens and where does that force go? What can you do with it? Yes, it, that's an excellent example. And you know, then you see some of the things down near the bottom of the list, coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance. And some of these are such, they're so quintessentially CrossFit because, yeah. again, these days, what seems to be common knowledge, like, who wouldn't do an overhead squat? Of course you overhead <laughs> squat. Well, I'm sorry. I'm here to tell you, you rewind the clock, not a single human being was doing an overhead squat. Nobody was snatching a barbell, yeah. period, end of story. So now something like accuracy and balance, coordination, well, these days it should be rather obvious as to how you're not going to excel at muscle-ups or handstand walking or cleaning or whatever with putting the barbell exactly where it should be when you receive it in the snatch, for example. But back in the day mm. when all of us would just go and do back and buys on one day and chest and tries, and most of it was sitting on a machine, so you're not even supporting your own body weight. There was The machine guided you on the range of motion, so I didn't need any accuracy or coordination. That was all removed from training. And CrossFit really brought a lot of that, I guess you could say, complexity into physical fitness, but, but not for no reason. They brought in that complexity because there's tremendous benefit there. Yeah, well, and I think it's an important time to bring up the concept that Greg used to harp on all the time, and I think it's absolutely true, is that nature has no obligation to separate these attributes in the way that man has chosen to delineate them. Mm -hmm. So this is a great list. It allows you to conceptually wrap your head around what these different skills and attributes are and, and how you might develop them. But at the end of the day, 
anything that you do is going to require a blend of many of these different things all acting together. And so it's kind of funny when people want to reduce it down to a single attribute. You know, go back to the discussion on strength. This uh, happens quite frequently where somebody says, okay, Boz, I get your powerlifting example where the guy lifted more weight. And yeah, maybe he didn't have the most uh, dense hamstrings. That wasn't what allowed him to do it, but his technique was better and therefore Mm -hmm. he lifted the weight. So was he really stronger? And you're like, well, okay, I guess we could play that semantics game if we wanted to, but at the end of the day, who cares? The most practical application and practical definition is who could do the thing. Do <laughs> work. If can't, do the work. If you, and if you can't do the thing, but you were better on paper, I, I mean, I'm sure that's interesting to some people, but most people, they're not going to believe you when you say, right. actually, I'm better, even though I wasn't as good on the platform. <laughs> right. Hard argument the, to make at that point. The doing the thing, doing the work actually matters. Yeah. And and, and all and it of will these, necessarily be a blend. Yes, and all of these things are, are working together in unison, yeah. like we said. Whether you want to say they're they're members of a team executing the play, they're they're all the ten different instruments in a band, like whatever it is, yeah. there is this harmony of them all working yep. together to accomplish whatever that is. You need the contractile potential. If you have zero contractile potential, you're just a blob laying on the floor. You need contractile potential, but then can you harness that in the right sequence mm-hmm. and coordination with the most efficient technique like all of these things are coming together to ideally accomplish work and accomplish work quickly would be would be wonderful as well yeah and to talk that through even further and get back to the thrust of hey this is a list of 10 skills and attributes that an athlete will need to be successful if you come to me with that powerlifting example and sorry i'm beating a dead horse with this but we have an athlete who wins and then an athlete that's the runner up who has quote more attributes on paper. Well, there's your answer right there. Okay. This guy got beat because his technique wasn't good or his accuracy was poor mm-hmm. or his ability to channel that force was not as good as the other athlete. Well, great. Now you have uh, uh, an awesome understanding of what this athlete needs to do to progress. If he does have the raw materials, like you say he does, and you can identify that piece that was holding him back, well, awesome, now you've got a way for him to excel, and he should be able to come back and outperform the other person that you think doesn't have those same attributes. So great, now we have a way to move forward. you got to run the race. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And if you can't run the race, you can at least start to identify what was holding you back and improve that so that it's no longer a hindrance. And I, I think getting back to the gentleman's original question, I think what can be easy to yeah, do we, is, is... We strayed is, a little bit, huh? <laughs> it, it's, it's, <laughs> under, it, it, it's understandable how it's easy to do is you see a list of 10 and you're saying that these are mm. important and you're saying that he or she is... I'll even read it out of the... Uh, if I can find it here, let's see. 10 skills, blah, blah, blah. You are as fit as you are competent in each of these 10 skills. Okay, that's a quote from the article. It can be easy to read that quote and mean, well, if I had a pie, it would be sliced into 10 equal slices, and they are all of equal importance. But then, you know, getting back to his original question, I look at some things and it seems like this slice of the pie is highlighted over the other slice. So don't, Mm -hmm. don't think of it as they all have to be these equal slices. Again, it is... It is one of multiple models, thought experiments, examples, if you will, to guide you through what we're doing, 
why we're doing it and help make yourself a better, more well-rounded athlete. That's the intent of these 10 general physical yeah. skills. Well, and let's, let's get down to brass tacks a little bit. So I think one of the thrusts of this question, whether it's overt or not, is, is saying, hey, I don't think flexibility or accuracy or coordination right. are as highlighted as things like stamina and strength and Correct. power, et cetera. Correct. Yep. Um, okay. And maybe there's some truth to that, but let's unpack that a little bit. And I think sometimes people have the general development of a skill versus the outlier specific development of the skill a little bit skewed when it comes to things that are more niche, like flexibility. And that's something I'm very comfortable talking about because I have a background in acrobatics. I mean, it's another lifetime ago, but I stretched way too much for way too long and got really flexible. And I was around people that were really flexible. And so I understand what an outlier in flexibility looks like. You know, they can bend over backwards and, and uh, you know, tie their shoes with their teeth kind of thing. They can right. do the splits right. and then beyond the splits. That's an incredible feat of flexibility, no doubt about it. But that is the equivalent to the thousand pound deadlift. You do not need the thousand right. pound deadlift to be considered generally strong. And I would make the same argument as far as flexibility is concerned, that you do not need to be able to achieve an extreme position to be considered flexible. And a perfect example of that is if you look at uh, past CrossFit Games champions, I think are, are awesome to look at. Um, Tia Claire is an awesome example. Matt Fraser, Rich Froning, you know, many of the other ben champions. Ben Smith, there's a move, good Smith, mover. Yeah. Exactly. It, they, it's unlikely that they'll be able to do a full split at the drop of a hat. But to say that they do not have a range of motion that is exceptional among the average person or even, even a high, high pool of athletes from other sports, I think is a stretch. You watch the way that they can overhead squat. You watch the way that they can maneuver on objects like the rings. Um, right. You watch some of the positions that they can achieve during, during workouts under high fatigue. Uh, I, it's a hard, it becomes harder and harder to argue that they are not flexible athletes. Right. And in, in and the general sense, in the general in sense. sense. And let's take his original question. Cause I think you're right that it's the question was kind of laced with, well, strength or some of these other things are given far more of the spotlight than some of these other 10 general physical skills. There's some lecture also with Glassman saying, okay, well, flexibility, how much are we looking for? And, and you're not, we're not looking for you to be a contortionist, like you're saying, mm -hmm. but a flex a range of motion adequate to do functional movements that's what we're looking for and an overhead squat is profoundly demanding of flexibility to do it well and have your body stacked in the perfect position and if you are somebody who's just naturally flexible maybe that point is lost on you mm -hmm. but from my perspective somebody who is tight just the ability to do an overhead squat would be a significant in increase in my range of motion. So if I see somebody out on the floor and what looks like a strength event, okay, it's a one rep max snatch test, sure. So that looks like maybe if you're looking at the list of 10 general physical skills, we're only testing number three strength and maybe number five power. That's what so we're testing really, you know, three, two out of 10, but, but not at all. Okay. There's not a lot of cardio, rest or endurance, gotcha. But Strength, you, you, the flexibility needed to receive that is incredible. The coordination needed to have your body move in the right sequence to get it there, 
you need to have speed, you need to have balance, the accuracy, the barbell needs to be exactly where it's supposed to be, yep. or you're going to have a mislift that there's a lot of these 10 general physical skills hidden yet extraordinarily demanded to have success yep. in what might appear to be more of a singular sort of event. Yeah, and one of my favorite examples of that is the um, speed snatch ladders that mm. have been a staple in you know, a few CrossFit Games competitions now and certainly some high-profile uh, events outside of the CrossFit Games. They, they feature those types of events. I mean, when you have athletes that are racing at a significant but sub-maximal weight and effectively a missed lift means you are out right. because everybody else in the field is going to pass you by, that is a huge demand on accuracy. Yep. It, it's not yep. seen as such. It's more the highlight is going to be on the power to get the bar in the overhead position and the strength to stand it up. And surely those are important too. If, you're not, if you don't have that, you just won't make the lift. However, if you are not deadly accurate and quick about that accuracy in the sense that you can hit the setup and pull and nail that lift with no prep time, I mean, that's a pretty serious thing to do. You ask any Olympic Absolutely. weightlifter if they would prefer to lift under those conditions <laughs> and, and they're, they're going to tell you, of course not. Like there's no way that that would be appropriate in what they are trying to do with a movement like the snatch. And it would be you know, a resounding so yeah, not, no. Right. Exactly. And, and nor should it be, you know, like they're testing a different thing, and but it has to be recognized that when you change the dynamic of the event a little bit, like it does put a lot more pressure on some of those other attributes that may not be highlighted as readily. Yes, and may not be highlighted as readily in the moment, but getting back to his question as well, they're critical in how that athlete trained to shine in that moment. So a lot sure. of times, power and speed are just on display, power and speed regularly. Mm -hmm. And and geeking out a bit, but I think but I think importantly so, these 10 general physical skills, when we used to break them down, we would say four of them cardio, respiratory endurance, stamina, strength, and flexibility, those four right there were developed through training. And you kind of touched on this before, like the density of somebody's muscle. So, you know, training, and by the way, the word training is defined in uh, the What is Fitness article as well as it's something, activity that pre improves performance through a measurable organic change in the body. So you can actually see that the tissue has changed. Those mm -hmm. four developed through training. The bottom four, coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance were developed through practice. And that, they said, had a, something which changed in the nervous system of the athlete. So we had one more of an organic tissue, the other one more of the nervous system. Well, you needed both sides of the coin. Training of those top four and practice of the bottom four were both required to fully develop power and speed, those mm -hmm. two there. So while it may not seem like agility or accuracy is quote-unquote highlighted getting back to his original question if you're seeing an athlete profoundly express power and speed they did not do it they didn't get there without working all 10 of those general physical skills and you're just seeing the highlight might just appear to be power and speed or strength but there's a lot of work and a lot of nuance that went in behind the scenes before they walked out onto that platform Yep. Yep. No, that's a great point. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, if you look at um, kind of the modern competitive landscape as well, 
I think there are a lot more events that creep in that do really stress some of those neurological aspects. And handstand oh, sure. walking is a great one. Sometimes that gets a lot of heat from people because they think, well, how practical is this? Why, why do we expect people to be able to do this? It's a fitness competition. What place does that movement have within it? Okay, fine, that's a fair question. But when you do start to consider that list of 10 skills and you think about coordination and accuracy, especially under fatigue and pressure, you're like, well, that's a great expression Absolutely. of those aspects. I took a note initially when you started talking and I, uh, so I scratched down something to circle back to at the end of the conversation and you might've covered it. We've covered a lot. I just wanna make sure that we get to this if you didn't cover it yet. You mentioned something at the beginning of the show about people take things for granted in a competition hidden attributes of whatever we've kind of we we yeah. circle we circled that <laughs> yeah, up nicely right so. okay good yeah I and think so. the last thing that i'll kind of end on unless you've got more is recapping taking stealing something that you said and giving another example is getting back to the gentleman's original question it's really important to realize that this list of 10 general physical skills does not live in a vacuum that it is part mm -hmm. of a broader picture broader context and having that context and vision of the big picture really lets you understand what the 10 general general physical skills should be used for how you should think about them and they're not the entire story and i, I would say another thing which can happen regularly is somebody might say they listen to a couple crossfit lectures and they walk away with how important power and intensity is i mean we almost say that intensity delivers the good stuff it's the key to your results i know mm -hmm. that's an oversimplification it's like well if intensity leads to results then that intensity is the holy grail, like above all else. And so I'm gonna program for intensity. And so right. if you did that, well then every workout that you would do, you would do, you'd only do like one minute intervals of air squats and you would never practice your handstand walking because practicing your handstand walking is a very low power output activity compared mm -hmm. to a whole bunch of other things. But you've missed the point, kind of like if you see just the 10 general physical skills without the whole landscape, you're missing some important context. So again, take a step back, look at the big picture and understand how these, how these fit into what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's a great point, too. And I think it really bolsters this idea of why we choose so many different movements and rep ranges and workout formats for exactly what you just said if it was only power that was the important element, I mean, it is a very important element, but if it was the only thing that mattered, then you could select, you know, a handful of workouts that objectively create the greatest output. And that's right. all you would do. But because we are interested in these other attributes, you're going to have to inject some of these movements that sh shift the balance a little bit. So this becomes less about raw power and raw strength and more towards accuracy and flexibility and coordination and that's the beauty of injecting the variance into your program is that it does start to demand different groupings of attributes for different workouts. So that's a big one. And I'll, I'll leave kind of on a practical uh, note here. And that is, I really think that going back to this idea of application should be at the foundation of how people think about this list of 10 attributes. So it's cool to see that as an underpinning but what's the next step? Well, I go to the gym and I see what I'm capable of. And let's just, let's just say I can deadlift the house, but I have a really hard time 
with the snatch. Mm-hmm. Not an uncommon sure. know, uh, athlete that has that, that, those two things that are true about them. So what can you infer from that? Well, it's probably because my flexibility and my coordination is not as good as it could be. That's why I have this limiter between this amazing amount of strength and, and likely power, but I can't mm-hmm. express it there yet. There's a limiting factor. But it starts there. It starts at, I can't do this thing. And then you kind of track it back to, oh, you know what? I bet you that's because my endurance isn't so good. Not the other way around. You don't, you don't get to speculate. I think my strength isn't that good without having something in the real world to actually ground that. So use that for what it's worth. I think trainers absolutely need to be rooted in the reality. And, and that's you know why tools like Beyond the Whiteboard are so great is over time you can see that in your own training and start to identify where your weak points are. And then you can take that next step and kind of link that back to an attribute and think about, okay, how are some other ways or what are some other ways that I can um, train that attribute that hopefully spills over to eliminate that weakness? Awesome. I'll tell you what, Jason, if that doesn't answer your question, I, I, get, <laughs> I, 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 think, uh, I think we tried to cover that as many different ways as we can. Yeah. And thank that you. That was a fun as, one. Yeah, it was, it was actually that. a fun one. When I saw the one, I was like, ooh, I like that one. We'll dive into that. So, Jason, thank you for doing that. And like we say all the time at the end of these shows, we do read the comments. So whether you're listening in just an audio format, go on to the BTWB YouTube channel. Check out the Very Not Random playlist. Leave a comment, thoughts on the episode, different opinions, topic you might like to have covered, questions, whatever it happens to be. We check those out and they help drive content. So, Roz, I appreciate it. For Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.